Well, welcome everybody to the UMA 180 Win podcast. We are so excited to have Tom Garrels of Adventure Coordinators joining us from Toronto, Canada. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, so it's exciting to have you here. You've got a business that I think just about everybody would be interested in, particularly during this time with COVID and everyone being locked down. You know, all of us are thinking about when COVID is over, here's what I'm going to do. So hopefully this will not only be interesting to listeners about small business, but it could possibly give them some ideas on where they want to go the uh, the next time they can get out of their house or out of their country. So uh, mm-hmm. can you give us a little background on, you know, yourself and kind of how you came into this business? Sure. Um, so I started off in the travel business probably about 25 years ago. It was a bit as a, fl- of a, as a fluke, actually. Um, I thought it'd be nice to travel. I had done some traveling in, in Africa and Australia, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to hand out my resume and see if I can get a job as a tour leader. So I went to this massive uh, job fair. Uh, actually, it was a holiday fair where, where operators were plugging their tours. And I started handing out my resume and I stopped by one uh, booth and the guy says, hey, I know you. We've been to high school together. And so he hired me on the spot as a tour leader in Africa. And uh, I've never looked back. Interesting. Okay. So that was in Canada or where did that all take place? That was actually in Holland where I was born. Mm-hmm. And then uh, within a couple of years after that uh, meeting, I moved to Canada. Okay. So you start out as a tour guide in, uh, in Africa and, and possibly some other places. So when you went to Canada, was, was that the same position that you still held or did you stay in the tourism industry? I was in the tourism industry at that point. I was uh, working uh, in, in uh, accommodation industry and that was also my first job in Canada. But my, my love always was with uh, you know, being a travel agent. Okay. Well, and so at some point when you created um, uh, Adventure Coordinators, you really took a shift from, you know, booking people's flights and setting up hotels to really doing more of, you know, a higher end adventure tourism uh, segment. So how did that go and, and what made you decide to go into something like that? Well, it was a time of consolidation in the travel industry. So there were a lot of uh, big international banking uh, conglomerates that were moving in, snapping up small companies. And so, quite frankly, I, I was made redundant because I was too expensive for these, uh, these uh, folks. And so I thought, well, what can I do now? And you start evaluating your skills and what you love to do. And what I love to do was helping people book adventure travel. So that's how I started my own business. So if someone were to think of adventure travel, I think of an African safari or, you know, climbing a glacier. Uh, those are probably somewhat intimidating for some people. Um, maybe a cruise is about as adventurous as folks want to get and maybe doing the uh, the day trip, you know, from the cruise ship. What are some of the things that would be more realistic that an adventure travel traveler might do besides, you know, these these more um, traditional ideas? Yeah. So uh, on the cruise front, we've taken a slant on it where we steered away from the big ships. I call them, you know, the castles of the sea with uh, 5,000 of your closest friends in the in, in the pool and all vying for a space to get off the ship first and, and do your uh, your excursion. We use small ships, typically 100, maybe 200, but that's about the biggest we go. And uh, we then uh, put you on a cruise to Antarctica or the Arctic or even a river cruise in Europe, which is, uh, you know, pretty much within everybody's 
imagination of uh, of uh, a, a trip. But then even that, we make a little bit more adventurous. So if you go on a river cruise, most people think, oh, I'm going to be with a bunch of, you know, 70-year-olds who are going to be just sitting there eating and drinking and looking at the sights. We book then river cruises where from the ship you go uh, hiking or cycling. Uh, and, and that's what we do all over the world, hiking and cycling trips. Uh, and, of course, uh, sightseeing trips, which is actually quite popular uh, way to go. Small groups of about 16 people. Uh, and, and we send you all over the world. So when you're doing a river trip, I would imagine the advantage is that a smaller boat that has 100 rooms or can, can hold 100 people can go into much smaller places and smaller ports than, you know, this 5,000 exactly. uh, person boat. So would that be, I don't know, like going down the Rhine River or something like that? I'm not too hip on my European rivers, but I believe that's one. And uh, is that the type of trip you might do? Yeah, the Rhine, the Danube, and uh, and the Rhone are probably the three big ones there. Um, and that's only a small part of our uh, portfolio. Uh, you know, you can go river cruising on the Mekong in uh, Cambodia or the Ganges in, in India or the Zambezi in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, there are you know, all, the, uh, all the sightseeing uh, tours that we organize, the safaris, the uh, hiking, uh, trekking, cycling. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Moldova and Transnistria on one of our tours. You know, look it up on the map. Who knows where it is, right? I know the name, and I think it's in the Balkans or the Baltics. Yep. I always get those confused. The Balkans, but, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, that's got to be nice because if you stop at, you know, it's somewhere along the Rhine, you're going to be able to see like some real uh attractions you know that are not necessarily the guy selling keychains you know that says welcome to uh you know zimbabwe or what you might traditionally see if you're on a a major cruise ship yeah so i I would think that that's got to be exciting for someone that wants to do touristy things i mean ultimately if you go on a vacation you're a tourist so many people say well i don't want to do touristy things but it's like well then why are you going to that city you're already doing touristy things by visiting you know this city you don't have to go to you know whatever the most uh touristy restaurant is or you know uh i don't know fisherman's wharf or something if you go to san francisco but you still should take advantage of all those things so it kind of allows people to navigate their personal bias against being a tourist while still seeing some really cool uh things along the way yeah exactly and and you know it it also means we find most of our travelers get pretty engaged with local culture like they learn a couple of sentences in the local language they learn about the culture uh, we educate people in it as well, you know, how to behave in a sensitive, appropriate uh, way when you go, for example, visit a mosque or mm-hmm. or, uh, or a temple. Um, so people do get really engaged and they have a genuine interest in learning about foreign cultures. Yeah. So um, you, we talked a little bit about uh, Europe and, and some of the river cruises in Africa. Are there some areas that you think are kind of un... un uh, really touch gems in the tourism industry? Well, I really like Eastern Europe uh, because, you know, Europeans know about it, but uh, most people who grew up in Europe and the West still think of Europe as this divided uh, continent between uh, East and West. And so what used to be Eastern Europe, when I grew up in Holland, I never set foot in it. Uh, because you had to go behind the Iron Curtain and it was just mm-hmm. a big no-no. I think the first time I did it was in 1988. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just before the Iron Curtain came down and I remember crossing it in Bulgaria. 
Um, it, it was really that was that was adventure at the time. Now that part of Europe, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Slovakia, Moldova, Transnistria, Ukraine, uh, those are you know pretty undiscovered areas, and there's some really neat type of time warp travel to be done there. So even though the the uh, Soviet Union has fallen, those are still kind of a little bit. I don't know if behind the times is the right term, but you're seeing like more of that history that could have just been several decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the country like Estonia. You wouldn't know that you're necessarily in a former Soviet Union uh, Republic, but Hmm. uh, Moldova and Transnistria, Ukraine, you definitely do, especially when you go to places like Chernobyl, for example, Uh, yeah, you know, this is the former Soviet Union. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. I would love to do something like that. I don't know uh, if my wife would be totally into that or, you know, I'm thinking of like my mom. She was always kind of an adventure traveler, but, you know, the Panama Canal and maybe, you know, standing on an Alaskan glacier was about as far as she would go. So, yeah. um, well, you know, adventure travel is a little bit about pushing your own boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I did that last trip there, uh, Moldova, Ukraine, etc., and, and you know, I wasn't sure, do I want to go to Chernobyl? Well, I went, and it's probably one of the best things I've done. Yeah. Just, and just what was it about that, just in particular, that you found interesting? Just to see what happened there. It really shapes your whole mindset of how human beings can, can mess up the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, another thing that really interests me was the photography. Hmm. You get some really interesting photography there. Yeah. Um, one time I was at Pearl Harbor. I think it was probably the only time I've been at Pearl Harbor, but there was a Japanese group of tourists with a guide that was walking them around. And we all kind of came at this, it was like a 3D kind of sculpture of the island. And in Japanese, this guy was explaining, you know, how the planes came in here and came in there. And I was so moved by this because I was watching, you know, what at one time would have been our enemy, you know, in the United States. But the guy was doing it in this way that seemed so respectful. And like he was so conscious of here I am in the United States. They were the enemy. And he just I didn't even understand the words he was saying, but I could just tell by the way he said it. I couldn't, I could have listened to this for hours. I I think I kind of followed them to the next, uh, you know, the next little uh, attraction, but just that perspective of different things, I think is so interesting. And I'll never forget that. It was really amazing. It was just something really cool. And maybe it's more just the flow of the language and all, but yeah, I love that. And I think it's neat that you went to a place, you know, like Chernobyl, where your your mind and what you think it's going to be, and then the reality, they never really match up, you know, no matter where you end up going. Um, That's so true. I mean, a few years ago, I went to Iran. And, uh, you know, of course, you have all your preconceptions about what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be people protesting. Well, that happened too. But at Customs, I was helped right through as an honored guest. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, insurance was waived for me because I was Canadian. So uh, they just thought it was so cool that I came to visit. And uh, I had a taxi driver take me into town. And you're already thinking he's going to rip me off, right? Because that's what taxi drivers do all around the world. This yeah. guy didn't. Middle of the night, he dropped me right at my hotel. He drove around the block to find it. Was uh, was incredible. I was invited to people uh, people's homes for lunch. I was given gifts in the subway. It's almost like the whole country is one big PR stunt. But it's you know that's just the way the people are. It it, it really opens your your eyes to and and that's what travel is meant to do, right? Open your eyes to, to other cultures. 
Right. Well, yeah. And when we talked a couple of days ago, you had mentioned something about Iran. And I thought that was so interesting. That's not a place that I would ever think, oh boy, I want to go, you know, travel to Iran. You being a little bit more adventurous, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that you did that. And you had said at the time, you know, you need to take the politics out of it, you know, and at the end of the day, the taxi driver that you met or the person at customs, you know, they've got a family and they're trying to, uh, you know, do better by their family and, and, you know, for themselves. So, you know, I think you get a lot more of that than, than, you know, the protests or the things you might see on TV. So, yeah. And I I did get the protest, which was, you know, even more hilarious. I, I walked out of my hotel in Isfahan one morning and, there's a couple of thousand people all dressed in black and they're all chanting, death to the USA, death to Israel. And I'm thinking, okay, should I be here? Or, But, you know, you're only in Isfahan once, right? So I walked out of my hotel into the crowd and the crowd just parted and they shouted, death to America. And then they saw me and they said, welcome to Iran. <laughs> and it was just wonderful. You know, this, <laughs> just, it was a demonstration. It was politics. It had nothing to do with me. And so, yeah. Life just continued. That's interesting. Well, uh, so seeing that you've done all these things, is there anything that you haven't done that's still on your own personal list? I guess you could go into space, you know, with Elon Musk or (laughs) some of these other things. You know, you have to really check a lot of boxes before you start, you know, going to the moon and all those types of uh, those types of places. But there must be some spots that you just haven't had a chance to go to that you think are really interesting. Well, it's true. I mean, when people see my, my travel record, which is now over 100 countries, they think, oh, that's quite a bit. But really, it means that I've been to just over half the countries in the world. Mm. Um, so on my list uh, two months ago, it was supposed to be in Armenia and Georgia. Well, maybe it was uh, coincidental that the, a war broke out there, but it was really the pandemic that stopped me from going. Mm. And uh, the other place that is high on my list is uh, Central Asia. So Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan. Yeah. Now, if you were to get, if you look on a map, you go, boy, all these places are right there. They're all together. But if you get to a, uh, get to say Kazakhstan, is it easy to travel, you know, in and around the other countries? Um, well, for some of the countries, you'll need a, what's called a letter of invitation, uh, meaning you have to have your accommodation and all your tourist services pre-booked. Otherwise, they're not even going to look at you and they won't give you a visa. Uh, other places, it's a lot easier to get into. Uh, and then the question is, is it easy to travel around on your own? Some countries more so than others. Uh, you know, typically in Western Europe, we don't organize a lot of sightseeing tours uh, because people do it, uh, that, that are in our demographics, they'll, they'll do it on their own unless they want to go on a hiking trip where it's harder to, to follow the hiking trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Central Asia, people are just more comfortable to be guided around, um, and, and that's what people choose. Uh, there will be adventurous people that do this kind of stuff on their own. Yeah. So um, on the business side of, of what you're doing, you've obviously got a big map, and you know places that are cool, and you get the flyers you know, at the – at the hotel that says, you know, visit this zoo or that place. But that clearly is not, uh, that's not what you're doing. So how do you find out about these places? And how would you, instead of saying, go to South Africa and visit this classic tourist spot, how do you know, um, you know, where to send somebody? Do you have other guys um, that do something similar to what you do and you guys share information and all that? Yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, we've got a group of about 10 uh, travel agents here in Canada that we share ideas with. Um, Of course, you you read travel magazines. Uh, I've got a subscription to three different ones and and you read that. But the most important thing is go. 
and travel and find out for yourself. And uh, so I try to hit anywhere from two to four new countries a year. Uh, and, you know, then I'm working from the road because you're still running a business as well, right? And, and with today's technology, of course, that's uh, it's beautiful. You can actually do that. That was actually my next question. Is So with technology, you you can be remote. You're remote now, whether you like it or not, you know, as as pretty much everyone in the world is. But, you know, does it make any difference if you were currently sitting in Brussels or in, you know, uh, Nigeria or wherever in the heck you could be? Can you pretty much handle the bulk of your business as long as you have Wi-Fi and phone? Yeah, as long as I have a good internet connection, I can I can do uh, anything I like. And, you know, sometimes that means sitting in the hotel uh, lobby uh, or as was the case in Iceland, I had to have the door to my room open and sit in the doorway. Uh, catch the Wi-Fi from the from the uh, uh, corridor. Uh, you know that happens, but yes, uh, as long as I have a good uh, internet connection, and it's pretty much worldwide now. I think the only time I was ever without was uh, when I was for three weeks in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. I could have still had email uh, contact, but at that point, I hired somebody to do the work for me. Yeah, so that I have to ask about: what on earth would draw you to Antarctica? Well, the classic answer is because it's there. Um, I've been twice now. And uh, the first time was actually uh, was an interesting story. I was scheduled to go to Libya. Hmm. And uh, at the time, I didn't yet have a Canadian passport. So I applied for a Libyan visa on my Dutch passport. I had to apply through it, uh, for it uh, through the embassy in England. And they saw Dutch. Oh, that's Deutsch. Oh, that's German. But he's got a Dutch passport. He lives in Canada and he's applying in England. No visa for you. And I found that out two weeks before I was supposed to go. So now I'm like, well, what do I do now? I've got my vacation time booked, you know. And so I started looking around for opportunities and Antarctica came up and I thought, okay, let's do it. So I went down to the Antarctic Peninsula and that was uh, at the time one of the best trips I'd done. Uh, I've since been to the Canadian Arctic as well as returned to Antarctica to the uh, uh, Sub-Antarctic islands, Falklands and South Georgia, and those were even better than Antarctica itself. So uh, it's Are the wildlife there. Pardon me. There's hotels in Antarctica. No, good question. Uh, you go on what we call an expedition cruise vessel. So these okay. are, uh, depending on, there's now a whole new generation that are purpose-built. But at the time, uh, and you know, there's still a few of those around, they're old Russian, what they call acoustic research vessels, okay. uh, a.k.a. retired spy vessels. Right. And uh, so uh, the, the Russian Ac- Academy of Sciences didn't need those ships anymore and uh, was looking for income after the fall of the uh, or the end of the Cold War. And so they started chartering out to uh, Western tour companies. And uh, those are uh, they're fairly basic, but they have twin cabins with private facilities mm-hmm. and they have a bar on board. Anything that that a scientist needs to uh, have a, you know, a reasonable, pleasant time down south. Uh, that's what they have. And then uh, these operators put Zodiacs on board and you do excursions off the ship. So your ship becomes your traveling hotel. And uh, with Zodiacs, you go and visit uh, penguin rookeries, uh, hike up glaciers and mountains, etc. And, you know, the sheer remoteness, the, the wildlife, the wilderness, and, and just the feeling of being the only small group of people on the planet because you won't see anyone else for two or three weeks. It's uh, that's exhilarating. Yeah. Now is, 
is Antarctica part of any country or is it its own, like who, what, what, is there any government that oversees Antarctica? Uh, there is an organization that oversees Antarctica, but it's been by international agreement. Uh, there are a few countries that have what they call claims on the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, by international agreement, they can't do anything with those claims, uh, nor can they do mining or, or other resource, uh, resource extraction. So um, it's, it's pretty much, uh, I wouldn't call it a free-for-all, but anyone can go anywhere. As yep. long as you stick to the rules that uh, have been set up by the uh, International uh, Organization of Antarctic Tour Operators. Got it. Well, and you must take certain precautions just to make sure your tour guide is competent and really understands the the dangers or whatever with weather and, you know, all the different things that could possibly happen down there. And I, I just in my head, I'm thinking of, you know, dozens of them, but that's true adventure. So if you've done Iran and you've done Antarctica, have you been to North Korea yet? So that seems like that would be the trifecta of uh, <laughs> the, the axis of uh, remoteness. Uh, yeah. I haven't done, I have not done North uh, Korea uh, and, and frankly, I haven't done South Korea. Even, so, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll look forward to hearing about how those go. Um, So what would you say would be something that you would, uh, what would you say to someone that wants to start a small business, you know, like what you're doing, maybe not necessarily even in the um, adventure tourism business, but just wants to do something on their own where they can have this incredible amount of freedom. I mean, shoot, if you're doing market research, you're getting on a plane and going on an incredible vacation. So you've got a lot of built-in perks to your job, but you know, at the end of the day, you do need to make money and you've got to figure out how to be sufficient. So how have you been able to do that? And what advice would you give to someone else who wants to really do something that's outside of, out of, you know, the normal um, way to make a living? Yeah. Uh, So first of all, I'd say do what you love, um, because then, you know, your passion is in it. But of course, that isn't enough to bring uh, bread onto the table, right? So I was lucky enough that when I finished in my previous employment, because they, they basically just folded up the company, I was allowed to bring my book of business with me. So right there, I had an instant uh, mailing list and people just in droves came with me because they'd been booking with me for the last uh, 18 years. Uh, so uh, that that was very helpful. So if, if you're starting from scratch, I'd say you might want to start part-time and scale it up uh, unless you have such a brilliant idea that, you know, you can start making money right from, uh, from day one. So we have a couple more minutes. There was, a, there was something that you had mentioned last time we talked about somebody that you actually helped out of a country right before COVID happened. Can you kind of explain what happened with that? Yeah, it was uh, just when uh, everything started to shut down, uh, I had a, a client over in Uganda doing some uh, uh, charity work there, and she contacted me and asked for her ticket to be changed. She had to stop over, you know, like a month into the pandemic. She wanted to stop in London. She wanted to change the dates on that, yada, yada. Uh, so I got in touch with the airline and found out the airline was actually wounding up business within three days. They would uh, just stop all their flights. So I called the client back and said, you're not going to London, you're coming home. So I changed her flights. And then five minutes later, she uh, called me back and said, I have a friend here. And uh, she booked her ticket directly with the airline, not through you, um, but she can't get through to the airline. Would you be able to help her? And I said, sure. So again, I got in touch. I had a uh, back office number with the airline and uh, got her ticket changed. And she was over the moon that I managed to get that done. 
she uh, actually ended up writing a letter to the Globe and Mail, which is our uh, our national newspaper, you know, like your Washington Post, New York Times kind of thing. And uh, they were kind enough to publish it. And because of that, uh, like they published it with my uh, my name, my company name. I actually had people looking me up online, subscribing to my newsletter. Uh, that was a really cool piece of PR. And frankly, that was the furthest from my mind when that happened because, you know, in March, uh, you just, it was uh, all hands on deck to get everybody back and, and more. Uh, yeah. It was an interesting time, but I was very grateful that she did that. Well, and I mean, I think it shows that you're not only trying to book people on these great trips, but you truly care about them and you're seeing them all the way through. So if someone's having a great time in U Uganda, your part's not done until they're back home safe. So that's, that's true. Yeah. About, uh, you know, the way you treat your customers. Uh, speaking of COVID, and I mentioned before how everyone's thinking of where am I going to go? I had a trip to Hawaii that was canceled and we're already looking at the British Virgin Islands next year. So you must have all these adventures that are people are coming to you for now, what would you say to someone like me or to anyone listening about when should you start looking at uh, booking something, particularly when you're not sure what in the heck is going to be happening in the next six months or so? Well, I think that's exactly the timeline you're looking at. Uh, I would say start looking for the summer or the fall, um, depending on what country you're in. Like if you're in England, you can probably start looking quicker because um, they're starting to inoculate next week. Uh, Canada will probably a few weeks or a month behind that, uh, and then it, it'll take some time to reach everybody in, in Canada. Uh, the United States, a different story again. So, But that's probably the timeline you're looking at, summer, fall of next year. And where should you go? Well, I'd probably go to a country that has uh, good communications with your home country, um, a good healthcare system, and of course, where uh, you can get uh, travel insurance for. Because uh, in Canada, for example, right now, we can get only very limited travel insurance coverage because the Canadian government has put out a blanket statement of don't travel, stay at home. Mm. So do you generally recommend people do get travel insurance when they, when they travel? Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to me, it's a must. It's just a smart thing to do. And, and it definitely uh, played out during the pandemic. Uh, the people that didn't have travel insurance were the ones that were uh, really affected. They couldn't get refunds. Uh, luckily, uh, the government here allowed the tour companies to give travel credits. And that's pretty much what everybody got. Yeah. Uh, but and, and with things like that, you can really get badly hurt uh, financially if you're, you know, you've got a beautiful trip on the line and, and oops, now you can go. Yeah, there's so many unforeseen things that can happen as we've been seeing here for the past 10 months. So yeah. um, any last words that you would give to anybody out there, uh, whether it's about business or travel or anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? You know what, I'd say... Do what you love to do business-wise, uh, and uh, if, you're, uh, if you have any interest in travel, go. It's a beautiful world out there, and uh, it's, uh, you know, I've explored half my lifetime or more, and I've only seen half the world. So there's a big, beautiful world out there to go and explore and go get it. Yeah, that's great. Well, Tom Garrels of Adventure Coordinators, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.